you would turn your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, and you can make your way to chapter 5, so the near the end of the, the text, end of the letter. As we continue walking through the New Testament, looking at really a book at a time, trying to see Christ in all of Scripture, we, we made it through the Old Testament last year, now we're well into the New Testament this year and um, just continue to see how Christ reveals himself, makes himself known to us through his word. So when you get to 1 Thessalonians, you get to another letter from Paul to a church, to the church at Thessalonica. And, um, and, and really, if you're following along in the book of Acts, you see this in Acts chapter 17. And... Uh, Paul and Silas had gone there and really persecution that was taking place to them is actually what led them to flee there. So this letter is a response to uh, really after Timothy has gone there. And so Timothy is updating Paul uh, that the church is not just kind of making it, it's doing well. And so Paul writes this letter in response to that information, that news that's come to him. He, he celebrates that they have transferred their allegiance appropriately from the false gods of the, the area, the town, um, and switched allegiances to the one true God, even if that comes at a great cost. There'll be more about that later. Then in chapter two, he reminds the, that healthy Christian leadership is not having power, but about having healthy relationships, offering love and service. More about that later. Then he goes on to commend hard work for believers, saying that it's better to care for others and to demonstrate to others uh, a hard work ethic. More about that later. Then he goes on and says, Paul reminds the church that our hope is found in Christ and in his return. That's still for us today, by the way. He, and, and man, more about that like next week, right? Not just later, but next week. I'm so excited specifically about our time together next week. If you didn't, haven't done the math yet, next Sunday is July 4th when we often appropriately celebrate the freedom that we've been given to uh, worship in the way that we were able to worship and to celebrate uh, Christ in that way. And so what we're going to do next week during our service is just that. We're going to use our freedom uh, to worship God together as a church family. And quite honestly, we're going to make good use of our time. So be prepared for this, that during our time next week, we're going to use our freedom to pray for those that don't have it. Because there's a world of people that have, do not have this as a gift. They're not, they're, they're longing for Christ to come to when they can gather with believers together in public and make it known in heaven for all eternity. They're longing for that day. And so we're going to pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world. And, and so I urge you, like, be here next week to celebrate the freedom, right? You might have some kind of barbecue planned or going to the lake or doing the, whatever the thing you do on July 4th, but don't miss celebrating freedom with the reason we're most excited about our freedom. Like it's not just that we're independent from England. 
It's that we have freedom to worship Christ as we see fit. So let's enjoy that freedom together. So as followers of Christ, when we look to 1 Thessalonians then, we, we find ourselves not just uh, living uniquely in, in these kinds of ways that I've mentioned, but specifically in regards to relationships with others. We are to have Christ-honoring relationships with those that are in authority over us. We're supposed to have Christ-honoring relationships with other believers even. And certainly, we're supposed to have a relationship with God. You do realize that the whole point of Christianity is to have relationship with God. You hear that often. It's not just about a religion. It is about a relationship. It's about the gift that we're given to have communion with the creator and sustainer of the universe. And so what we want to do now is look to God's word and see what he tells us about this, these relationships. So let's begin in chapter 5, verse 12. Chapter 5, verse 12. This is, again, the end of this letter, even listed or described as kind of the final instructions. He says, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish them, you to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle." Encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, so that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. He then kind of wraps up with some final offerings of greeting and prayers. So let's begin considering these relationships with first understanding relationships with authority, right? He he speaks to this in the first couple verses. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and esteem them very highly in love because of their work. This is specifically seeming to talk about in the church. This is not, now we have other parts of scripture, other time that Paul specifically is talking about general leadership, maybe even governmental leadership, and he gives more instructions there. But in this case, he's specifically seeming to be talking about those within the church. You can imagine then, it's a little bit awkward for me to preach this to you. I think you should respect me and admonish me and encourage me and tell me how great I am. No, like, so, so hear this. So even as I, I look to this passage, I want to be really careful. I want you, want you to hear carefully that this isn't just about me. Certainly, I would be considered one of the leaders here. And, but I want you to see carefully that this is a word from Scripture. This is not Chad saying, respect me or even respect us. It's God's word. 
And there's reason for that. So, so let's think about, according to this text, what does it look like to have a, a healthy relationship with those in authority in the church, those who have great responsibility in the church? One, you should have respect for them. That's exactly what the text says, right? Respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord. That's how we know that it's specifically regarding the church. They're over you in the Lord. So what are some ways you can show this kind of respect? You know, one way is to know your leaders. So we're going to do something here just real quick. So if uh, you guys are split in two different services, and so if uh, so don't, don't think this is everybody, but if you are either an elder or on ministerial staff, would you stand if you're in the room right now, if you're one of those? Thank you. Very good. So just for a second, I'm going to read some of those names. Uh, myself, Gino Lucas, Kylie Ham, Jerry Welch, Greg Winford, Fred Hall, Randy Cress, Mike Gladney, Mark Davis, Sam DeVore, Moses Victor, Kevin Williams, Joe Jacobson, Jerry Goolsby, Stuart Wentworth. Those are all elders. Ministerial staff adds to that Drew Baum, David Leonard, Ford Rigney, Emily Barber, Barbara Brown, Matthew Smith, Nathan Lucas, Cameron Barefoot, and Diane Wentworth. So thank y'all for standing. Look to them. Like these are ones that uh, we want to know. Right? We want to know who they are. We want to recognize them. Like we, You should see them in the hall. In fact, that's why we actually, on our website, we have both listed and pictures there of elders and ministerial staff because we here look to Scripture to provide that guidance that we are, it's not, it doesn't all end with me, right? This isn't, this isn't, yes, certainly I'm the most common preacher in the room, the one that stands behind the pulpit most Sundays and has a, a, a unique responsibility even to the elders to be what we describe as like the, the chief among equals. I don't have more of a vote in the elder meeting. I don't have more of a vote in any of those places. But, but we want to, to know who, who it is that, that leads this group. So we want to recognize them, be aware of them, but scripture says not just to respect them, but to show esteem for them. What that means is to value them. Value them. Like, and, and I know that I, I, I will just pause here and say, I feel valued here. I'm very thankful for that. Uh, you as a church make me feel respected, make me feel, and I don't, I don't know exactly how to describe that other than just to say that I sense great appreciation. You, you are polite, kind. You might just have it normally that you would say, good, like you could be asleep and still say good sermon. I don't know, but like you, you are kind to me. Um, but, but one thing very specifically that I think um, would demonstrate this in your personal life is that you should offer prayers for them. Like go, go to the website and look at all of those pictures and names and pray for us specifically by name. And I, I know you do this. I've had many of you tell me that you pray every day. And I, I'm even on a list. And, and I will just say, I, I'll take more and more of that because I'm confident that anything that is good, anything that has been happening that is bearing fruit for the kingdom of God is because of the prayers of his people submitting to him saying, we need you to do work. 
And I, I need that. You know, every Sunday, before I get here, I've had three different prayer groups. I'm at 6.45 with my brother and my dad. I'm at 7.45 with the staff. I'm at nine o'clock with three or four different deacons gathering in my office. Like before I get here, I've, and I've had my own personal time of prayer. So by, by the time I get here, there's been four distinct times of prayer. But I would ask that that be ongoing for you. Don't wait just till Sunday. I don't know if you knew this. This isn't my only day of work. You might be misled to think that. But but so pray for me every day. Pray for the elders. They're not just leading on Sundays when they meet. They're, they're having meetings and leading week in and week out, day in and day out. So offer prayers for them. F.F. Bruce says it would make for the effective life and witness of the church and for peaceful relations among its members if its leaders are recognized and honored and their directions followed. The corollary of this is that the leaders should be the kind of people who deserve to be recognized and honored by their fellow Christians. So here's what you should expect from us. You should expect that we will labor for you, right? This is what the text says. Respect those who labor among you. If we don't labor for you, if we're not working for you, working among you, then you quite honestly shouldn't respect us. We're not doing what we've been called to do. We're not doing what you has even called us out of within this body to say, lead, guide, provide direction for us, provide vision for us. And if we're not laboring, if we're not exerting energy, in fact, that word labor, to exert energy to the point of fatigue. Like that means we should be exerting with all of our heart. I, I tell you, uh, like I... I'm glad that when I go to bed at night, I'm tired. Some of you are like, you might not be because you are crazy. Like y'all, I don't even drink coffee. I'm like, whoa, imagine that, right? But I, I, I'm glad that when I go to bed, I'm, I can go to sleep. I, I, we want to be leaders who, who work, labor, forward you, and we should lead you. That means we should be doing the work. We should be ahead of you. Preside, direct, protect, provide. Stand before the throne of God on your behalf. Not, not as a priest, one who is only able to do that. We have the priesthood of the believers, but that we should, like you need to know that every elder meeting, we conclude our elder meeting, like we stop it early like we don't stop it early, but we, we conclude the quote-unquote business of the meeting in time that we would devote ourselves to prayer. Like this is an ongoing, regular part of our, our elder meeting. Ministerial staff, we, we pray for you every week. Your names are coming before us, not just as ministerial staff, as an entire staff. We are praying for you by name. This is why Peter says in 1 Peter 5, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So you should be able to look to us and, and find out about our 
quiet time, our time with the Lord. You, you should see examples in us of what it looks like to share the gospel with our neighbors. You should see examples in us about what it looks like to take the gospel to the nations. You should see examples in us what it looks like to be godly husbands and fathers. You should see examples in us of what it looks like to sacrifice of our time and our energy for each other. This should be something you see in us as we lead you. And be ready for this one. We should admonish you right? Respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. This means that we should warn you of the evils of the world. We should give you caution about sin in your life. Don't be offended when, not just from the pulpit, but when those who lead you say, like, actually call you out for sin you're committing. This is not out of our disdain for you. It's out of our love for you. This is what healthy leadership looks like. So because of that, you having relationship with us is healthy and good and wise. This is why Paul says, brothers, respect those. Esteem them. Because the, the work is necessary. So in relationship with authority, that's where we start. But Paul continues as he, he speaks specifically to relationships with other believers. Continue in, in verse 13. So the kind of 13b it says, be at peace among yourselves. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone for evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. So again, be peaceful. Be at peace among yourselves. I think that that's going pretty well here. Okay, so when I, when I say what I'm about to say, this is the admonishing part that I'm charged to do. But I want you to hear that I haven't heard of non-peaceful stuff that I'm trying to fix in this next statement. This is me admonishing so we don't lose the peace. Don't be a gossip. Don't be a slanderer. One of the quickest ways to lose peace is to say something about someone that you don't even know if it's true or not. Like the old statement, like, uh, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. I'm like, it's possible. We just, some people just need to be quiet. Like, stop talking. If that's the problem. Again, I don't, I'm not hearing this. I'm, I'm not, this isn't me saying like fix it and I'm, I'm some, I know who he's talking about. No, like I, I don't have any of that right now. What I am telling you is that we want to stay at peace with one another. We want to be a church that is known for loving each other well. It's, oh man, that's that church that talks bad about each other, backstabs each other, that man, kick each other while they're down, right? No, no, no. We want to be the church that follows these other things. So we want to be the, the church that's at peace. 
We want the, the community, we want Ridgeland and Madison and Jackson to look around and say, that church loves each other well. That group, whoever they are at Colonial Heights, I don't know, but man, they, they are at peace. I don't ever hear about bickering, about fighting over stuff that doesn't matter. Let us not be that church. Let us be the church that, as he's saying, like, be at peace among yourselves and be challenging. He said, how do these things work together? Because he says, admonish the idol, meaning warn, caution the idol, the, those who stay still, those who aren't doing the work. He's, he's specifically talking about in waiting for the return. This is talked about in other places in 1 Thessalonians. It's uh, reiterated in 2 Thessalonians when he's talking about there, there was there's this group that because they heard that Christ was going to return, they found themselves just kind of twiddling their thumbs and waiting and doing nothing. They weren't sharing the gospel. They weren't even, like some of them actually weren't working because they were just saying, we're just gonna wait till Jesus comes back. And so what he says is, challenge, admonish the idol. Do you realize that that's part of the task that you have? When we think about church discipline, so often we think about that very last step that someone might get removed from church membership because they are not displaying Christ following, right? That's the last step. But there's a whole bunch of other stuff, Matthew says, that should be taking place. You, in your life group, in your small group, in your discipleship relationships, you should have accountability with one another so that someone can say to you, hey, brother, that's sin. That, like, that's gossip. That's slander. Did you realize that did you know that you're known as the person who, who can't keep a secret? That's, that's church discipline. That's disciplining, admonishing one another. Did you know that it's, it's sin that, that you're not giving to the Lord? Did you, did you know that it's, it's sin when you speak of your husband that way or your wife that way? Hey man, that's not, that's not the kind of words we need to be saying, right? Like that, that's church discipline. You, you do that with one another. You don't just leave that to the elders. You do that. You practice that. We do this together. So be challenging and, and be encouraging. Whew, we made it through that admonishing part, right? right? We want to encourage. We don't just say don't do, right? This is, this is a good word for parents in the room, Right? We have to say no a lot, don't we? Right? Parents, lots of no's. No, you can't do that. Stop it. Quit it. Don't do that. Quit. Oh, please stop. Right? You can just hear it in yourself like, okay, fourth time. No. No. You cannot have that right now. No. Maybe later. No. No. Like, you just hear the question before it's even starting to be asked. No. Hey, dad. No. Like, you don't even know what it is. You just say no. Right? So, so because we have to say no so many times, this is a little sidebar, because we have to say no so often, find things to say yes to your kids about. Like look for reasons to celebrate what they're asking. Do you want a snack? Yes, eat. 
right? Like, I always love that. Are we gonna eat lunch? That's the question. You wanna like, no. When was the last time you missed a meal, right? Like, no, yes, we're going to eat. Relax, right? So, so those kind of things, but so say yes, but I would say to each other, so don't just be the, the proverbial like witch hunter who's trying to admonish and well, this is my job. My job is the one to, to fix everybody and to look for, oh, I found the slanderer. I'm gonna go tell him. No, like we wanna be not just admonishers, we want to be encouragers. We wanna be a church that says yes to one another and says, keep it up, great job. Good, like, that's awesome. I'm so proud that you shared the gospel with your neighbor. I'm so encouraged that you're going on your first mission trip. Great job. You, you worked hard for that promotion. Awesome. I'm so proud of you. This is the first time I've heard you pray in public in our life group. Man, that was awesome. Thank you for, for being open with us and that. Thank you for sharing that prayer request. I know that was hard. Like, that's, a, that's an emotional thing for you to share. Thank you for doing that. Like, speak those words of encouragement to one another because there are those that are faint-hearted. So be an encourager. He also extends that. Be helpful. Help the weak. Again, Christians are to be hard workers. Students in the room, I would like to confess something to you. There was a stint where I was not a hard worker in school. Uh, I did not particularly care very much about school, and that was problematic. I, I was a youth minister pretty early in life. Uh, I was 16, and so I was a junior in high school, and um, I, was, I was leading our youth group and making really bad grades. And I realized later in life that I was failing the other students in our student ministry because I was demonstrating that a poor work ethic was okay. And Christ-exalting life means giving your best. And I'm not saying you have to make all A's. I don't know what the rule is at your house. Our rule is like, if you make a B or whatever, a C even, but you gave your best, okay. If that's your best, great, good job. We know as parents though what our kids' best are, so don't try to pull that trick. So what I, what I want you to hear, students in particular, is work hard, demonstrate to others that giving it your best, this is also like, for those of us in the workforce, like we don't, we don't cut corners. We're not trying to find the, the easy way out. No, set that example and do that. That's a way for us to help the weak. Be patient. A good way to think of this is to have a long fuse he says specifically, be patient with them all, right? 
We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. Those who aren't working hard, admonish them, stir them, encourage the faint-hearted. Those who are just tired, the, the weak, they don't seem to have it in them, and be patient with them. Look to one another and be patient with one another. When you think, like, seriously? How many times do I have to say this before they get it? Like, I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm just done. I'm not telling you again. Be, be patient. I like this last part. I think what Paul seems to be saying here in this last part of verse 15 is to, is to be friendly. He says, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Just be, be friendly. Another way to say that would be just be kind. I always, you guys remember a blockbuster video? So show my age. Raise your hand if you remember Blockbuster. You guys are missing out. You'd go to the row, right? You just you have to peek behind the box to see if the rental was there. How devastating it was when the when like 32 of American Tail and none of them are there, right? You remember those moments. And then you'd go up to the, the counter and, hey, have you guys, you guys not stocked American Tail yet? You guys remember Fievel? Okay, okay. Anyway, like that's, that was my, my jam. And so, so you go and like you, then you say, hey, is it, is it back there? No, man, it's not back there. Gotta go, now you gotta go back through the whole store, it's alphabetical order, you gotta go through the whole store trying to find something else because Fievel was out, Right? But you know what it said at the end? On the box, this is, this is pre-DVD. Be kind, rewind. Man, because if not, the little 16-year-old snot-nosed kid had to put it in the little thing that all it did was rewind. Just, it's a machine. All it did was rewind tapes. Right? Y'all remember those things? Like, so whenever I look to this kind of thing, I, I'm reminded, like, be kind, rewind. There's not really a great point to that analogy, but, I'm, <laughs> but I feel like it's likely you'll remember when you leave here, be kind, okay? So, so remember that kindness is a part of who we are, not because we rewind the tape at the Blockbuster, but because we are followers of Christ. People that are demonstrate the, the Spirit's kindness that has been placed in us. We display the fruit of the Spirit. Be kind. Finally, I want us to look at relationship with God. I want you to understand that your relationship with authority in the church and relationship with other believers is certainly significant, but the reality is you, you can't have healthy, vibrant relationships with authority in the church or even with other believers in the church if you don't have a healthy, vibrant relationship with Christ. And I wouldn't dare assume that everyone in the room has a relationship with Christ. So I, I want to tell you, I want to offer this to you today. Listen carefully. If, you, if you're curious about this relationship, and even if you're not, listen up. So you and I are sinners. That means that we have offended 
a holy God, the God of all creation. Remember how I said at the beginning that the, the church here had shifted their allegiance from false gods of the world, celebrating, worshiping idols. What we often do is we, we celebrate and we worship, whether we like to admit it or not, ourself. We, we want our way. We want to do things with our plan and our, our dreams. We want to fulfill them. We want to do them. We want to accomplish them. We want to kind of plant our stake in the ground. And we, we want to say we did it. But what we find in Christ is that we can't do it. In fact, we don't have that ability. What we bring to the table is, is sin, offense to God. So God, being this perfect creator God, wanting relationship with us, offered his son as a sacrifice so that we could have, enter into this relationship. So, so Jesus comes, lives on earth perfectly, never sins, and offers his life. He dies so, so that our sin punishment would be taken. He conquered death. He comes back to life three days later. And, and because of that, he offers to us through faith in Christ and his death and his resurrection, through believing in him, turning away, like shifting allegiances from ourself to Christ. And we say, we want to follow you. We want, we want relationships like this. We want healthy, good, strong relationships. And because we do, we, we want you. We want a relationship with you for all eternity so that we won't spend eternity separated from Christ in hell, instead, we will spend it with God. And that, that can begin right now. And so right where you are, you can trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, as the one who will redeem you, rescue you from sin, and offer to you everlasting life in him. So what do we do if we have relationship with God? Right? If you even just right now have called out and said, God, I, I want to turn away from all my ways and I want to trust in your ways, what are his ways? So glad you asked. He tells us here in beginning in verse 16, and this is for all of you who have already turned your life over to Christ. He says, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. If, so catch that. He says, like, if you... If you ever, raise your hand, if you've ever asked a question, what is God's will for my life? Ever asked that question about any area whatsoever? This is it. Listen up. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God. So rejoice always. Joy is not something we work on. It is something we live in. Joy is not something we work on. It is something we live in. <clears throat> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause on that one and come back a little bit to that when it, we get to giving thanks and, and skip to this pray continuously. Pray without ceasing. That doesn't mean that, uh, that you bow your head and close your eyes and 
clasp your hands together while you're driving. It's a bad idea. It, it does mean that as you're driving, you're pondering, you're, you're talking to the Father. It means that as you're getting ready for the day, and even as you're getting dressed, you're talking to the Father. As, as you're going to provide discipline to your children, they're praying. So you, you should be. God, help me have the words to say to my child that, that would appropriately discipline them. Help me not get angry. Help me show patience. I'm at work, God, God, keep me from joining in with the inappropriate jokes. Help me display you to those I'm around. I'm in a conversation as I'm pulling through the drive-thru, certainly as I'm driving in traffic. Keep me, keep me from displaying frustration, anger, impatience. So pray without ceasing. And give thanks in all circumstances. This one's hard, isn't it? Does that say some circumstances? No. Of course, it doesn't say in many circumstances. It doesn't say when the circumstances are to your liking. Give thanks. Does it say give thanks when you got a yes to your prayer? Give thanks in all circumstances. The J.I. Packer says, the unceasing activity of the creator, whereby in overflowing bounty and goodwill, he upholds his creatures in order and ordered existence, guides and governs all events, circumstances, and free acts of angels and men, and directs everything to its appointed goal for his own glory. If this is what's taking place, then we can give thanks in all circumstances. Providence, when we think of providence of God, Mark Howell says it affirms that no detail is irrelevant. No detail is insignificant. God is using everything for our ultimate good and his everlasting glory. So when you're wronged, give thanks that God causes all things to work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. When you're hurting, Maybe, like, maybe today, when you're hurting, give thanks that God is compassionate toward you. When you're confused, give thanks that God is the great clarifier. When you're persecuted, give thanks that God counts you worthy of the gospel. When you are alone, give thanks that God is closer than a brother. When your future is uncertain, give thanks that God is the one who was and is and is to come. When your faith is tested, give thanks to God that God helps you pass the test. When you approach death, give thanks that God has defeated the grave and preserved for you a place. And when your Christian loved ones die, give thanks for that reunion that is to come. Give thanks in all circumstances. This is how we can rejoice always. A thankful heart finds joy.
So do not quench the spirit. Right? This is in the text. Do not quench or squeeze out the spirit. Do not stifle the spirit or do not put out the spirit's fire. We, we even think oftentimes, because scripture does this, refers to spirit and fire together. And so you don't want to put out the flame. You don't want to douse it with water. You don't want to, to put out the spirit's flame. Do not quench the spirit. Meaning, as, as God is moving, as it is clear, God is at work amongst us even. Don't be the one that stifles the work of God by interrupting it with your own, maybe even practical issue. When there are spiritual matters at work that are more significant than the practical ones. Does that make sense? Sometimes that's what we, we get so bogged down with all the practicalities of life that we forget or we mishandle the spiritual realities. So don't quench the spirit. As he goes on, he says, hold fast to what is good. I wonder if that's what we cling to the most. It's easy for us to grab hold of things, isn't it? We, we, we squeeze real tight to things in life. We, we hold fast to our job. We hold fast to making the, the sports team at our school. We, we hold fast to the, the hope of a job promotion. We hold fast to the hope of retirement. We hold fast to our bank account. We hold fast to our calendar. We hold fast to our schedule and our plan and our way of thinking. We hold fast. And some of those things might be good. But when Paul writes, hold fast to what is good, he's talking about Christ. Cling to what is good because all good things come from God. The greatest gift we've ever been given. The, the good is the gospel, right? Good news. So hold fast to what we know is good. Hold fast to good gospel. Which is why Mark Howell says that the church will only be as strong as its commitment to preach, teach, and obey Scripture. So we hold fast to this, church. I want you to understand this, that by God's grace, by his good work, this will be what we hold to. And then I will say this, this is part, it goes back to what we started with, this is part of why it's not just reliant on me, but there are 15 elders holding me accountable to this word. There are ministerial staff holding me accountable to this word. You are holding me accountable to this word. And so if, if we steer away from it, let me, let me put it this way. We have stifled the spirit if we steer away from this. We are in the wrong. So, Hear me saying that it's the, the accountability and the responsibility that is placed there to then say, hold fast to what is good and abstain from evil. 
Paul says, not just to abstain from evil, but to abstain from every form of evil. He's, he's making this known. Like anything that even has a glimpse of evil with it. And they go, well, is that evil or is that a form of evil? If, if evil goes with it, don't do it. Heard once of a, of a man who was being counseled. <laughs> the counselor simply said, like they, he was asking, how do, I, how do I stop this certain thing? Whatever the thing was. The counselor said, okay. Right. Two words. Stop it. And that's it. Like, you don't have more from me? Like, yeah, sure. Stop it. Like, s- stop sinning. You can, you can cut it, slice it, talk about it however you want it. You can call it sin. You can say, you might not, maybe you don't want to use that word, which is ridiculous because it's the word in scripture. Oh, I like guess just, uh, it's this thing that's not really good. Okay, well, stop it. Stop, stop doing that. And I'll tell you this morning, as I was kind of having my last preparations of the, the morning, I was reminded, stop it. Specific areas that I, in my office this morning, confessed to the Lord and said, God, I'm sorry that I haven't abstained from every form of evil. So I want you to, to hear that, that I'm confident that God who is gracious and faithful, this faithful God that we sang of, great is his faithfulness, that he is faithful and just to have forgiven me of my sins. So even this morning, that as I confessed that sin to him, that he is faithful to forgive it. And so I want you to hear this. He's not just faithful to us pastors when we confess our sin. He is faithful and just to forgive you of all of your sins. So church member, when you're right now, whatever evil thing, whatever uh, sin that you have not been abstaining from, confess that to the Lord today and stop it. When I think of relationships, I think of these words. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good unto one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good and abstain from every form of evil. We can stand boldly today and we can sing that our heart is his. And we've, that we give our life to him. So we say, we, we're gonna do what you say. We're gonna follow your plans. We're, we're switching allegiances, just as the church in Thessalonica switched allegiances from the, the idols of the world to the one and only King Jesus. Let us be a church that does the same.
you stand with me as we respond to the Lord now?